I was as much taking a recording for myself. You know, I wanted a bit of a memento and I thought it'd be great if we could get a recording of it. If we'd captured it, I'm sure we'd have taken a photo. But the reason I took the recording was to remember the situation and what happened. You're listening to Fauna, a podcast by Zoos Victoria, where we take you backstage at Healesville Sanctuary, Melbourne Zoo and Werribee Open Range Zoo. In 2009, I had an opportunity to go and help not just an individual animal, but a whole species. And I thought that was sort of the highlight of my career. My name's Rupert Baker. I'm the General Manager for Life Sciences at Hillsville Sanctuary. In 2009, I was the Senior Veterinarian at Hillsville Sanctuary. So there was a little bat on Christmas Island called the Christmas Island Pipistrel. And this little bat would fit into the palm of your hand. So if you were to hold your hand up, it weighs about the same as three paper clips. I mean, these things are tiny. They're so small that, I mean, you would hardly feel them if you hold them. Take a look at your little finger. The bat's body was shorter than that. Once widespread on the island, a combination of disease and introduced species meant that between 1994 and 1998, its population reduced by a third. The Christmas Island pipistrel was listed as endangered in 2001, then critically endangered in 2006. And one of the things about a declining species is that when it gets down to low numbers, the population could really drop out really suddenly. And that might happen because, if you imagine a small population of animals, if one of them gets sick and was to die, that represents a very large proportion of the animals that are there. And if that happened to be the last breeding male, obviously a species would go extinct quite quickly. In 2009, things were so dire the Australian government approved a rescue mission. Top of the list was to establish how many bats were left. You know, there could be potentially up to 20 individuals left. There have been other threatened species around the world which have come back from less than that. So why wouldn't we think, hey, we can do this? Rupert was one of three Zoos Victoria staff sent to Christmas Island. So I went along to help with uh, veterinary aspects, in disease investigation if there was a small population left and there might have been a disease there. He and his colleague Lorraine Jolly, a zookeeper with experience handling bats, could also help with establishing a captive breeding population to be based on the island. Because one of the thoughts was, could we do that and protect those remaining individuals from threats that were there? And Natasha Shefton, a threatened species biologist, was there to help find the bats. The trio formed part of a coalition of researchers from a number of organisations, including the Australian Bat Society and the Arthur Ryler Institute for Environmental Research. We flew from Melbourne to Perth. At Perth, you hop on another long flight, and then basically you nearly fly all the way to Indonesia. And when you look at the map, you know, Christmas Island sits well out on the edge of Australian territory. I've got to say that it's a beautiful place to arrive at. You see it's really actually a tip of a mountain that's coming up from under the ocean. There's flat areas which are made up of rocky coral which have now been got a forest graving over the top of it. And when you arrive there, it's balmy and it's, you know, tropical and all that type of thing. Despite the tropical setting, this would be no island holiday. After all, there were bats to count and catch. When we arrived... The bat biologist said, right, let's get out there. We need to see if we can find this bat. We're not only going to go to the place where the bat was known to have occurred now, but we're going to go across the whole island and we're going to make sure no one missed it anywhere else. 
So yeah, I was hopeful when we arrived. But it wasn't quite as simple as looking and counting. Even spotting a bat was a challenge which required special equipment. I had some infrared goggles on one night and I watched the bat come flying into this clearing. And as it came into the clearing, I had the goggles on, I had my phone with me as well. And so we had also what's called a bat detector. And a bat detector takes the sound that a bat makes and makes it audible. Bats call at a frequency above what humans can hear, which is why Rupert and the team needed bat detectors to listen in to the echolocation calls. So I had the bat detector, I had it pointed towards where this bat was coming. We had some infrared goggles, we could see it coming into the clearing. The team had set up what's called a harp trap in an attempt to catch bats as they flew past. Harp traps have parallel nylon strings stretched vertically across a frame. If a bat flies into them, it gently slides down the strings, landing in a pouch. The pouch is a bit like a little hammock where the bat can be collected uninjured. Rupert and the rain had also made a tunnel trap out of a piece of fine netting. It came into the clearing, it got to the harp traps. We were all sort of holding our breath at this stage. And the bat then just basically did a 90-degree turn and flew straight up vertical, parallel to the harp traps. It then got up to the drift net area, and this will happen quite quickly because they travel at 15 metres per second. You know, they're really moving. It then just went straight up and went up and over the net and then just flew off around the corner of the clearing and was gone. Now, I did record it at the time, which was kind of nice. It was great to have a memento and you know, actually know that we'd seen it. And bats make a little noise, a little kind of... kind of noise. This is the Christmas Island pipistrel bat that Rupert recorded as it darted through the forest, artfully avoiding the traps. And that's actually their yell, which then gets reflected back to you. It was that yell that the team were desperately trying to track. We'd gone out with bat detectors every day and we'd take them into forest clearings and we'd point them up at the sky and we'd tape them to the tree and we'd leave them overnight. Rather than recording audio, these bat detectors transferred the sound into a computer reading. Each day, Rupert and the team would collect the detectors and review the readings from the night before. And we looked at hundreds of thousands of files. And after a while, what we realised was that when a bat was detected in one location, you never actually detected a bat on the same night anywhere else. And if there was a bat detected on two detectors, it was because it was close enough that the bat could have flown past those two together on the same night. So it became apparent that actually we only have one bat left. And that was... um, That was terrible. And it was terrible also to think about the fact that we had a species which for a long period of time had been monitored by science and gone into decline. And in a way, we let it go extinct. And it happened in my lifetime. And, you know, to be there and see it happen was crushing at the time. Being asked when there's one bat left is not being asked at the last minute. It's like the last second. And even then, you know, 
Even if you could clone the animal, it's still not going to help you because that's not a population. That's not a genetically viable animal. You know, it really isn't. Without knowing it, Rupert had recorded the call of the last Christmas Island pipistrel bat. It was August 26, 2009. After this date, the species is considered extinct. After I took the recording and the clearing of the bat as it flew around and off, I was as much taking a recording for myself. You know, I wanted a bit of a memento and I thought it'd be great if we could get a recording of it. If we'd captured it, I'm sure we would have taken a photo. The reason I took the recording was to remember the situation and what happened. What I didn't realise is that it would actually end up being the last audio recording of the bat that was captured before we realised it had gone extinct. We arrived when there was only one left. And that was just absolutely a gutting moment. To think that you're going to arrive in time to save a species or at least to have a chance of saving a species and only to find it was too late. And so for us at Zoos Victoria, having been part of that experience, we came back and said, this is not what we want to be. I'm Jenny Gray. I'm the Chief Executive Officer of Zoos Victoria. But recently I've been introducing myself as the CEO of a very large conservation organization based in Melbourne. We don't want to be an organization that arrives in time to record extinctions. We want to move sooner and earlier. And so that has led us to the campaigns called Fighting Extinction. When we got back from Christmas Island and the failed attempt to save the species, we had a a very brave board. They passed a commitment that we would not let any Victorian terrestrial vertebrate species go extinct on our watch. To kick off their commitment to recover local native species, Zoos Victoria turned to their own experts, as well as consulting with others outside the organisation. So we asked the scientists to go out with four really clear criteria. The first is that it's a very small population, that we're really down to low numbers of that particular species that it continues to decline. So you've got a tiny population that's already declining, a restricted distribution, and a presence of a key threatening process. And so against those four criteria, they went back and looked at all the data, looked at all the species, spoke to species experts, and staggeringly came back to us with 16 species that met those criteria here in Victoria in our backyard. And these are our species that we could lose in the near future based on those four criteria. Among the 16 local species identified were Victoria's faunal emblems, the helmeted honeyeater and the leadbeater's possum. There were also reptiles like the grassland earless dragon and amphibians like the bore frog. Then there were the four non-Victorian species that Zoos Victoria was already dedicated to caring for. And so we had the 16 Victorian natives that we identified through these criteria the four other species we were heavily committed to, and that gave us our fighting extinction 20 critical species. We've carried on from that point because we will save any animal in trouble. And so it's not just about saying it's 20 and 20 only. Every year we do an assessment of how the 20 are going. One of these days I'm hoping that our research is showing us some of these populations are doing a bit better and we'll be able to take animals off the 20. But every now and then, off our watch list, we see a species tipping more and more into danger and we bring them in. 
And so last year, we added the Plains Wanderer into the 20, and so that made us 21 critically endangered species we now work with. Since 2009, scientists, researchers and keepers at Zoos Victoria have seen their roles shift. Thanks to the Fighting Extinction campaign and the strategic shift of the Zoos Victoria board, there's now an organisation-wide focus on fighting the extinction of Victoria's native species through breeding programs and habitat conservation. If we weren't breeding them, looking after their habitat and re-releasing them back into the wild, many of them would simply not exist anymore. I think animals enrich our lives. Imagine you never saw an animal, not your dog, not your cat. When you walked outside, there were no birds. There weren't even insects on the pathways. Our lives would be so diminished. And it seems crazy that we just start throwing away something that makes our lives so rich and wonderful. And so it matters that we should not take the loss of any species lightly. We shouldn't be saying, well, it's okay, it's far away and it's an animal I've never seen and I don't care about. That would be just quite terrible. You know, we don't have the same attitude to wonderful works of art or wonderful pieces of music. We wouldn't say, oh, it's okay, that got destroyed just because I've never seen it. And so we really believe that we shouldn't let any species go extinct without a fight. And that's why we're fighting extinction. Because the other scary part is, you know, if we let a work of art go, we could create it again. Once we've let a species go, we can't create it again. We can't bring it back. And if this little bat had disappeared, as it has, it's disappeared. Anybody with all the money in the world could want to build another Christmas Island bat. We won't be able to do it because we let one go. And so that's what drives us is to not let other animals go because we won't get them back. They just won't come back. Yeah, I, I, I do think about it. I talk to groups about it as well. So one of the reasons I, I talk about it to people is because I think it sends a, a really important message for all Australians. If we think about Christmas Island, it's a microcosm of Australia. It's an island like Australia. It has falling biodiversity like we do. It had problems with quarantine. And that's not so much what we have on the mainland, but we still have risks with quarantine of things potentially coming in. So how do we make sure that people are aware of that? Because if we don't look after our quarantine, if we don't look after the environments we have, we're potentially going to lose more species. Australia's animal extinction rate is among the worst in the world. We're now losing one mammal every 20 to 30 years and one bird each decade. And so I try to think of our ecosystem is you know, massive, beautiful, imagine a big carpet, a lovely thing that you like to stand on and you, know, you lie down on in the morning when you want to stretch. And just think about losing one or two threads. Maybe it gets a little bit less lustrous. Maybe there's a patch in it. But if you take out some of those central threads or if you take out multiple threads, suddenly we're looking at having an ecosystem which may respond and be totally different to what we've got now. So... When I think about the bat, I'm talking to people about, hey, we've got to be careful, and it's really important to talk about these things, and for us to figure out, you know, what's the challenge we have? You know, what are we going to try to do in our lives, and are we going to try to 
make this work for not only us, but also these other sentient beings, which will help us and our kids in the future and our grandkids? Or are we going to say, hey, you know, I won't worry about that? I don't think it's an option. Can the battle be won? So we definitely can save species. The reality is we are likely to lose some populations along the way. This is Dan Harley, Zoos Victoria's threatened species biologist. The thing is, we've done a remarkably good job with modest resources to prevent extinctions occurring at a species scale. We haven't lost large numbers of species over the past few decades. We have lost a lot of populations and we've had a lot of populations still declining. So there's still massive work to be done and no room for complacency. But on the whole, I feel like really there is this massive opportunity because at the end of the day, it just comes back to effort. The next episode of Fauna will be the final of the series. Dan takes us deep into the forest and talks us through the decades-long battle to save one of Victoria's most precious creatures from extinction. And it was the most amazing experience at dusk because you would stand three metres back and they would come out at a height of about four metres, run down the trunk, run down a tea tree branch and they would run over your right shoulder, out into the swamp. Thanks to Dr Jenny Gray, Dr Rupert Baker and Dr Dan Harley for being so generous with your time. While we've been producing this series, we also spoke to a number of Zoos Victoria staff who shared their passion for fighting extinction. We couldn't include you all in this episode, but we appreciate your time. If you'd like to learn more about the 21 species in Zoos Victoria's Fighting Extinction campaign, you can visit zoo.org.au slash fighting extinction. Fauna is produced by Bridie Smith and Beck Fari for Zoos Victoria, hosted by Annie Last. For more episodes and information on how to subscribe, head to zoo.org.au slash fauna. Zoos Victoria operates three campuses, Hillsville Sanctuary, Melbourne Zoo and Werribee Open Range Zoo and is a zoo-based conservation organisation fighting extinction to secure a future rich in wildlife.